You're listening to Greek AF Radio. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Greek AF Radio podcast. Today we have a really super awesome, amazing guest. Uh, I don't want to like make his head too big, but I mean, this guy is awesome and you guys are going to get to see him very shortly and see how cool he is. Uh, before we get to that, let me introduce Foti Stamos, my co-host. Hello, Foti. Ari, how's it going, brother? It's going great, man. I'm excited about today's episode. Uh, big fan of this guy. I've been following him and uh, impressive stuff. And I just I want to get to get inside his head. So, it was, you know, I maybe get like inspired to, to kind of get off my ass and, and do some stuff. Uh, yeah, you definitely need to do that. And I think our guest is the right the right man to get you to get off your ass and get back into you can say ass fuck you don't worry it's a podcast having said that the you know all of our guests that come on are you know exciting they've got great stories but our guest that's coming on right now i just want to say he's a badass now that we said the word badass he's he's uh he's got an interesting background impressive background anything that stems from being a marine an entrepreneur a family man a podcaster um I want to say that this gentleman is basically what I consider what every man strives to be. So having said that, let's bring on our guest, uh, Nick Kumalatos. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got lots of things going on, but we really appreciate your time today with us. Uh, thank you, guys. I, it's an honor, man. It yeah. really is an honor to be hanging out with you guys. Thank you, awesome. Nick. Awesome. Thank you. Fati, where do we begin, man? I mean, it all be- it all began with uh, with browsing through social media that we actually stumbled across Nick. Yeah, because his social media. Well, you know what? We're gonna get his social media. We're gonna have everything in the notes. So I'll have no fear that uh, uh, if you're not following him already, you will be. But let's uh, let's get let's go back to the beginning, Nick. Um, yeah. Can you give us a little bit of background where you grew up, how you grew up, uh, so we so- can get to know a little bit about the the, the background of you? I was born in Florida. Um, my fam, my family immigrated in, uh, 72, I think, I believe 72 from, from, uh, to Greece to Montreal and then Montreal to, to the U S mm-hmm. and, and then my grandparents left and my grandparents and aunt left in, um, in I believe 79. And my father was, you know, young, a uh, young man. And then, and it was, you know, the late seventies and he's like, I'm in Florida. The weather's awesome. Life is awesome. I'm not going back to Greece where basically, you know, like it is now, essentially I'd be yeah. waiting tables or something like that. And he was doing good. So he's like, I'm, I'm having fun I'm making money. Uh, I got a badass car that wouldn't even fit in Greece. It was a white SS Monte Carlo. Oh, man. Uh, for those who remember that. Yeah. And um, he was like, no, I, I think I'm going to stay here. And, and thank God. Right. For me. Cause yeah, I was, awesome. cause I kind of got created. And can I was you born, imagine? I was, well, okay. So you, you were, you exist because he stayed here, but I, I was just thinking like how different if you exactly you as you are were born and raised in Greece. I mean, it could have been a completely different story. It, is- it would have been a completely different story. I mean, I, I, I want to believe that people are who they are and they, and, and, and I'll get to that in a minute um, talking about kind of like destinies and, and, and work ethic yeah, and things yeah. like that and personalities. Um. But yeah, so I was born in 82. And then um, unfortunately, they split uh, for, you know, other reasons. And I was raised mainly by my mother. And um, a couple years later, she had another son. And uh, his dad wasn't in the picture either. And, and, um, and we moved around every six months from the time I was a little boy, 
So wow. about about two years old. And up until I want to say about 12, 13, we, we stopped moving. But until then, we moved every six months, pretty much all over the United States. How like how what was that experience like? Was it because I remember when I was really little, like 12 and under, like it would have scared the crap out of me to, to move around that much and have to meet new kids and have to go walk into new classrooms. And you want to hear, hear this? This is how it was. I hated it as a kid because every six months it was like new classroom, new kids. Yeah. You're always going to be getting picked on. You're always you're always the odd person. Me and my brother are always the new kid, the, the odd kids out. Um, and you got that big, long and- last name, too. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so, uh, yeah, no, right. <laughs> Which is a whole different, you guys know, that's a whole different ordeal. Yeah. And uh, probably everybody listening to that understands that. And um, so it was, um, it, here's the sad part is I'll never forget the look in my mother's eye when I, she said, Hey, why haven't you unpacked? And we, you know, we were poor, man. We were like dirt, dirt, poor, poor, poor. Um, I had a, I had a con, a black contractor dark garbage bag. That was my suitcase. My gosh. So that's what I put stuff in. And I just lived out of that. And she goes, why haven't you unpacked? And I said, well, we're just going to leave again. So I figured it's just faster if we just, right. if I just leave it in there and I will never look on, I'll never forget the look in her face of how like devastated she was that oh. she, you know, moved. And it wasn't for anything other than like job opportunity. I mean, she's yeah. a single mom, you know, so it was, she had to go where the work was. She, right. we never took a handout from the government. There was no anything like that. I mean, she just, you know, she just did what she had to do to raise her two boys and survive. Right. And, um, and now, you know, being, being the age that I am now and then serving in the military, that actually served me very well because I was very f- comfortable. You know, a lot of, a lot of adults are very uncomfortable with change and move. Mm-hmm. And like travel and they need their creature comforts and they need everything to be just the way that it, it needs to be. And I had literally grown up living out of a trash bag or a suitcase, you know what I mean? And yeah. so going, joining the military and living, you know, sleeping here and going here and doing this, it was like, I was just, that was just my life. That was just another day. So it was very, very mentally flexible and mentally strong in that area, that aspect. And, um, and it gave me a lot of appreciation for a lot of different things. And, um, so, you know, while it was hard as a kid, you know, hindsight, I'm like, man, that, that, that became a, a true kind of foundation, foundational building block for myself on how I saw the world and how flexible I was to do the things that I needed to do to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then essentially we moved back to Florida, uh, long-term and that's when I started to get in trouble and, and, uh, and kind of going from there, but we stayed there until I, 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 uh, and we can get into that as well, but that's, that's where I stayed, uh, up until I joined the military. Wow. So, so you're, I, I definitely think, uh, a lot of what you are is nature, but from everything you just explained, it sounds like, uh, it, it might be equally split nature versus nurture. It's like yours, how you grew up kind of affected you, but you have to have it in you to kind of take it to that next level. I mean, does that sound accurate to you? Yeah, because you got to look at me and my brother, right? Me and my brother, we grew up the same, but we took very different paths. And now our, our lives are very drastically different and not, not necessarily bad or good. It's just mm-hmm. that he, he has his personality and he lives the life that he wants to live, which is very modest and very, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. want for much. He doesn't really have the desire to grow. He doesn't have the, and I don't mean grow, but he doesn't have the desire to have more, build yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's not on a path. He's like he's content. M- yeah, content. He's much more like my grandfather. He's like fish, 
food, kids. That's yeah. it. And that's cool. That's perfect. And that's cool. cool. Yeah. But me, and we grew up the same. We've had these, we almost had the exact same experiences. We both joined the military, um, me before him, and he joined the military. We both went to war. We like literally have almost identical life experiences. We both have kids. We've both been through divorce. Um, we both had hard times. We grew up the same. Uh, so, so I agree with you. I think that it's, I think it's a little bit half and half. And, you know, it's a little bit of our, my, you know, my life, but also it has to do with, uh, who I am as a human being. Yeah, you know, because if it was what, all if it was all if it was all nurture, you guys would be exactly the same. Uh, exactly, so that yeah. nature comes into play on your end for right. where you are now and what you've achieved, and you know all that badassness that we talk about, which is so cool. And on the flip side, his nature was different and perfectly, uh, you know, respectable and perfectly great because mm-hmm. uh, I'm <laughs> I'm probably more like him. Because I'm not a badass at all, so. Uh, it, but it's really cool to to kind of see the the person inside, kind of break out of what they were nurtured into to, yeah. to kind of go that different path. So okay, so 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 you so, all right? So let's take it to the next step. Uh, w- the next step is you joining the military. Is that like no, the next step is me probably going to getting felonies and going to jail? Oh, going, geez, okay. the tell gang. Us. Tell, tell yeah, us. Tell, I, us, tell, uh, us, tell us. So. <laughs> We got back to, we got back to Florida and, you know, puberty started to kick in. You know, I got, I, I hit puberty very young and I'm, um, so I'm, so now I'm, you know, I, I'm getting angry. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up in a fatherless, a fatherless household, we did, I, I did have a stepfather for a while. He was abusive. Oh, um, the, the, the straw broke the camel's back was, um, and this had been going on for a while. I, I'm not really sure my mother knew about it at the time, but she, this, it kind of, I hit puberty. So I'm like, you know how it is. You know, mm-hmm. when you're a young man, you hit puberty, you're all of a sudden like, wait a minute, I'm a young lion. You know, there's <laughs> an old lion there and you're the young lion. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to flex a little bit, see how much I can get away with. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I remember he came into the, into the room and, and, and did something. And then we ended up fighting. So here I am like 11 years old fighting a grown man. I get thrown through a closet door. It's a big ordeal, you know, and um, got beat up a little bit, thrown through the closet door. And then I escaped through the window and that was it. He was, he was out of the, once that big, you know, and then my, oh, I remember seeing yeah. my brother at like my brother, my little brother at the time who was, he had puberty late. I had puberty early. So we kind of did this like, <laughs> you know, and he's three years younger than me. So he still looked like a little kid. And I started to look like a, a young man. And uh, I remember him standing in the doorway watching this happen. He's like, you know, his eyes are like this big around and uh, my, woke my mom up. It was a whole ordeal. And anyways, he was out of the picture at that moment. Like that was, okay. she, she like <laughs> that was done, Good. but it had been going on for years. And, um, so, you know, that with not having my dad in the picture, I was looking like all young men, we are looking for something. We are looking for connection. We are looking for mentorship, a tribe, something that matters, right? Something to be a part of. This is why I think sports for young men are such an, such as is such an important thing. Mm-hmm. Having a father in the home is such a, a, such an important thing. Um, there has to be some sort of manly connection to young men to keep them on the right path. Otherwise they will find it in the most negative ways. They will search for it themselves. Unfortunately, I found it in a group of men that, that, that was in a, you know, a quote unquote gang. Um, and then it, that which led to illegal activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, it's because I craved connection. I craved the tribe. I craved something bigger than myself. And, and, and eventually, you know, a, a year down the road, um, we, I got busted and, 
Uh, long story short, uh, they sung like a bunch of song birds. <laughs> and I was like, you know, thou shalt not pass. And I, you're not going to get nothing out of me. And, you know. And everybody else know, did sing. Here's my shield and you're not getting it, you know. <laughs> so they threw the book at me. I, I got, I basically got all of it. Um, wow. I got charged with everything and they pretty much, everybody else got off. So is that, is that, was that the, the signal to you that uh, stuff has to change? Was that the signal? No, that... no, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> it, it became fuel for more? No, a little bit. I mean, it just kind of hardened me, you know what I mean? And, and you know, I was just like, well, you're the, that's the man and you're not going to take me and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I was tougher than you guys. And I'm just a kid. It, you know, hindsight, it's like, it's crazy. But yeah. Uh, anyways. So no, it didn't initially. And then it kind of, it kind of started to snowball down the road. I got kicked out of school. I went to juvie. My mom worked a deal. Here's the shitty part, man. This, this is horrible. Listen to this. I don't remember if the first time or second time I went to juvie, but the day I got one day, I got arrested and got thrown into juvie and no kidding. It was the same day that my, uh, grandfather was having triple bypass surgery. Oh man. So my mom's at the hospital with her father having a triple bypass and gets the, gets called that. Oh my God. That, that her son's, her son got arrested and got thrown in juvie for being a jackass. Oh, I gotta, I gotta say, I don't know your mom, but man, she sounds very respectable and very, very tough and very, very strong. She's been through some stuff, man. I mean, but you know, everybody has, but yeah, she's been through some stuff. She's actually a national bestselling author now. Um, really? her name's yeah her name's river jordan and she oh. uh yeah she she's a she's an author and none of that was happening while we were kids i'll tell you that right now i, <laughs> I laugh i'm like mom you waited till we would they both your sons were out of the house to get published and make some money and <laughs> have some things um but that's the way it goes I, it take, everything takes time but she never gave up i did a great podcast with her just recently on the always forward podcast um, talking about that and, and, and how that all happened. And she just never gave up on her dream man. she just worked, worked, worked and, and, and never, uh, n- never relented, that's stayed relentless. So cool. Anyways. That's amazing. Um, but so, so what was it that, that, that did you have like a, an immediate epiphany or was it a gradual, uh, transition? It was kind of a gradual thing that I saw the decline of my life. And, and I, I started to kind of clean it up and I guess what you, this is what happened. So I was on probation or something. I got kicked out of a school, that school that I was going to. She moved me like two districts over to go to, so I could get back into school. And I screwed that up as well. And uh, they caught me with a weapon on school grounds. Oh, wow. Which was an automatic felony because I was on probation. So now I have, now I'm, I think I'm younger than 13 years old, or maybe I'm 13 and I've got two felonies on my record. Wow. The judge People kind of came to bat to me saying that, listen, he's, you know, he made a bad mistake. He's a, he's a good kid. Give him, give him a shot. So instead of locking me up, the judge, I want to say, gave me two years of community service. Mm-hmm. I mean, two years of community service. That was yeah. my, that was my time. Especially at and, that age. Uh, that's a long time. <laughs> from 13 to 15 i did yeah. community service. but i'm saying like even the way you perceive time when you're 13 that's like forever because so everything's like immediate like, I'm gonna, this is where yeah. i'm at i'm gonna be here doing this shit forever <laughs> you know what I mean? and uh so she was at a church and um she was she was at a, going to a church and she worked a deal with the youth pastor and the courts 
man, my mom, I mean, she's just a, a trooper. She worked the deal with the, the church and the courts to let me do my two years of community service at the youth group. Okay. okay. So this pat, this youth pastor, his name's, his name's Jack McDonald. I'll never forget him. I owe him a lot. Um, he basically made me like, I would go to school, I'd get out of school, I'd go to this place and I would like sweep the, like we had, they had this big building with it. The only way there's no elevator it was just a stairwell. And it was like, I don't know, four stories or something like that. And I would like have to sweep the stairwell every day. And then it had, they'd have this big, it was this big like open warehouse. And then I'd have to like sweep the whole warehouse. I'd have to take cords, trash. I mean, I was just there hours for two wow. years. But then over the period of time, you know, these pretty girls started showing up. And they started showing interest in me and they're like, we're going <laughs> to help you fix you. And I'm like, sure. And that was, and there was, that's what it was. Honestly, it was these people started to show a positive influence in my life. Obviously those other people that I had been hanging out with, like those, those relationships got severed due to getting arrested and the gang getting broken up by, by the detectives and the whole ring. It was, it was basically a, an organized crime ring mm-hmm. in a way we were still in stuff, selling it, you know, whatever. And, um, Nonetheless, you know, th- that negative influence got replaced by a positive influence. Now, these kids were, you know, they were working, they were going to church, they were being positive, influ- you know, they were on this, the hunt for a positive influence and success in their life, which obviously your network is your net worth, right? Yeah. So if your network is a bunch of, a bunch of juvenile delinquents, well, that's what you're going to be. If your network is a bunch of positive kids trying to live a good life and be successful and do good in school, that's the same thing. So that's that that got replaced. And when and when that happened, there was like a trigger in my brain of like, okay, how do I get more of this? How do I level up? How do I fix my life? And because of the because of going, you know, getting kicked out of school and missing school and going to juvie, like I had fell behind. So I never went to the eighth grade. So I I completely, I completely missed a whole entire grade. So I was behind like a year and a half. And so I had to go to this alternative school and this is when it all clicked. Like that whole, like it it just made, it took me who, who I was and amplified it even more Mm -hmm. because now I'm going, okay, I got to fix this. I'm behind and I want to level up. So I had to go to this alternative school, which it literally was like barbed wire fences, literally a prison, mm-hmm. metal detectors, um, and you cannot get, and it's all where all the bad kids go. You cannot get in one fight. They said, you get in one fight, you're staying here. You're not leaving. Oh. You have to get this GPA. You're going to be here for a year, and you can't get in a fight. And man, it's like going to prison. As yeah. soon as you walk in there, they're eyeballing the new guy, and you're, they're like, they're going to try something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's damn near impossible not to get in some sort of altercation at this place, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, wow. I did not get in one. I was, I, for the first time in my life, I, as you guys can look at me, you can see me. Like, I'm not a gray man. I don't blend in. I stand out. I command a room, you know, like I stand out in a crowd. Like it's something that I've had to learn and kind of almost kind of embrace uh, uh, who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the only time in my life that I really like, I was like, I am going to put my head down. I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm going to do my damn thing. Get the hell. And they said, you got to be here for a year. I said, I'm going to get out of here in six months. Hmm. They said, there's no way you're getting out of here in six months. I said, what do I got to do to get out in six months? They said, boom, boom, boom. I said, okay, I'm going to make that happen. So in six months, I got out of that alternative school and went to regular high school. And, um, and so the ninth grade, I went to Bay high, uh, in Panama city, Florida, uh, halfway through. And I only did a year and a half there. And the re the why the reason why is because 
after my 10th grade year during that summer, I went to, and you guys will love this. Hmm. Um, I was working as an audiovisual technical person setting up projectors and lights and stuff. And um, from 6 a.m. to 2, 2 o'clock. And then from 2, thir- I'd go to lunch for 2 to 2.30. And then 2.30 to um, 10 o'clock, I was a bellman. Hmm. I was making about $4,000 a week. Wow. As a bellman. At 16 years old, wow. between the two jobs. Oh, man. this is the late 90s. I'm 16 years old, making $15 an hour, hooking up projectors and lights and microphones from six, awesome. from six to two. And then from 2.30 to 10, I'm getting $100 tips, taking people around and being a bellman. It's a very high level resort in Panama City Beach, Florida, Bay Point Marriott. And um, so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> fourth out. So when okay. it was time to go to the 11th grade in high school, I'm like, uh, I can't do that. I like it doesn't make like it doesn't make any sense. Right? Like, why would I go back to school? And I was a CD student anyway. You know, I was barely pa- I barely passed the tenth grade. Hell, half the time, half of tenth grade, I probably wasn't even there because I'd walk into school, somebody'd come in and be like, "Hey, the surf's up. Let's go. Let's go boogie boarding and surfing." And I'd be like, I would grab my bag and be like, "Later, teach." And we'd be at the door, and you know, like then, you know, there was no gates on schools. Much different in the nineties, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, anyways, so we, uh, we would head off, but it was amazing that I passed, but it was time to go back to school. And I was like, I couldn't. So I got my GD, got my GD and then started and kept doing that job. Got a, uh, moved into a house on the beach, was living the life. And it just freaking hit me like a ton of bricks one day. And I don't remember when it was. I just know that it, I just remember the, the feeling like, holy shit, this might be my life for the next 20 years. Like I'm making good money, man. I could live off this for the rest of my life. I could do this and level up in this, this arena and work at this hotel and, you know, have these different opportunities. And, and, and then in 20 years, I'm going to be right here. Same town, probably working for the same people. I mean, granted, like you would progress, right? Next thing you know, I'm a manager. And then yeah. after that, I'm director and, you yeah. know, shit, 20 years, VP of something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just the same. That's what made me panic. It was the same. Yeah. And you got to understand, look at my life leading up to that. My life leading up to that was not the same. It was constant growth, constant change, constant learn, new things, seeing new things, learning new things. And I panicked. I absolutely panicked and hit the nuclear option. I blew up my life, man. I blew it up. I left those jobs, left one, got fired from another because I left the other one. And then... um left the house, gave up my jobs there, obviously, and then wanted to join the Marine Corps. And I said, hey, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. I I feel, not to cut you off, but like, it's so interesting to hear the contrasts of of your life because it's almost like they can't like cage you or or hold you or, or give you that kind of like be stuck in the same place. But then you went to something that's so... Uh, strict and, and rigid, <laughs> like uh, the military, right. which, which yeah. is so interesting to me. But we continue. I just want to. Well, it, the, that, that. there's a, there's an ending to that story as well, and it's very similar. I've never really heard anybody say like, "Oh, you." It's like you can't be contained or controlled. And yeah. I, I've never had anybody say that, but there is an issue with that. I, I do have a, a strong problem with that. Um, so I went and go talk to the Marine Corps man, and the recruiter goes like, "Yeah, absolutely. Sit down." 
what's important to you? You know, I don't know if you've ever talked to a military recruiter, but they have this whole sale, a sales pitch of how they do it. And, sure. you know, you're going to do this and that. And but what's your strengths and weaknesses? And we're going to play into it. He's like, cool. All right. What's your information? He's, I'm going to go to the back and and run you in the system and get your information. And we're going to start this whole process. And I'm like, sweet. This is going great. He comes back out of the back and I can <laughs> picture the whole room and the back door. And he goes to the back office and he comes back and he's shaking his head. He's like, kid, this ain't ever going to happen. What? Because of your history? Like, you will never join the military. He's like, you're a two-time, you're a two-time convicted felon. You got a GED. You got drug stuff. You've got gang things on your things. Like, there's, you're like, you're the bottom, bottom of the class person that we're going to ever recruit. Oh, Jesus. And this is during, and this is during the Clinton era where they were downsizing the military and doing all that kind of stuff. So they were like, they weren't let like you had to be primo to get in the Marine Corps. Wow. And, <laughs> and that's what did it. Did that when make you want it even more? They told me no. And you're like, uh-uh, I'm not taking that. Yeah. They told me no. And I literally was like, that was the worst thing that you could ever have done because now it's my entire life's mission to prove you wrong. Cause if I want to do something, I'm going to fucking do it. Period. Like that's the way it's going to be. I, I live life on my terms. And so I, I left those jobs or I left one, got fired from the other and, um, left, gave up my beach house, moved in with my grandmother, got it. We started going to community college. This was 1998, I believe. Um, started going to community college. Was pissed off everybody in high school because they had just graduated and they were in there. Like they were two, like two years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And I show up. I'm like day one of college. They're like, wait a minute, why are you here? I'm like, well, I just, I, I just got a GED. I skipped it. I skipped the last two years of high school. <laughs> and here we are together. That's why I think you know, I have a whole problem with the school system and the way it's set up. It's complete BS. <laughs> Right. You know, because because here I am at the same level of th- that they are just two years earlier. They, yeah. they didn't, you know, they didn't like that. But <laughs> uh, moved in my grandmother, got a minimum wage job. This is what this was the painful part. I started working at nights at a movie theater as a uh, projectionist, and I remember getting my first check, and I was making minimum wage back then. And I, was, I don't know if you guys remember, but it was like four something, you know, yeah. four dollars or something you know, down in Florida. And uh, I got my first check and it was like maybe 125, 150 bucks for two weeks or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? You know, and I go from 4,000 a week to like $150 in two weeks. That's crazy. And, uh, absolutely nuts. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I was trying to live off of. And uh, anyways, went to school. Took me almost two years to get into the military. Had to had to take a bunch of tests. I got over a hundred letters of recommendation. Um, I had to prove every, everybody wrong. I got waivers for freaking everything. Um, it, it was a long process, and I just showed them that I had something to offer. And eventually, after multiple levels of 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 uh, you know waivers and uh, uh, interviews. And, you know, multiple trips to maps, taking tests, doing, doing these different things. I finally, I found they, I finally got in. Oh, um, 
Awesome. You know, so I just figured I was like one step at a time. It was like, okay, what's the hurdle? So the first hurdle is my GED. Okay, I'm going to go to college. Once you go to college, you're a college student. So it supersedes you having a GED. So you're not, mm-hmm. they don't even care about the high school. Now they're more focused on college. Okay, now I'm a college kid. I'm a, I'm a college dropout to join the military. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then I had to focus on the other things. So it was just one thing at a time that I had to do. And eventually I got in. And um, as life would have it, uh, seven days in, I broke my wrist and got dropped to a medical rehabilitation platoon. So I had to overcome that. And there's a whole story there, but long-term I got in, I got the things done. I, and then while I was in, it was never enough. It was never enough. What I, where I was at, I always wanted more. I wanted to do more. I wanted to grow. So eventually I, you know, I got the opportunity to, um, initially almost right in, I got the opportunity to go do a individual augment, a single, like just me deployed to Turkey. Um, so I went, you know, that was, that was a uh, pre invasion of, of Iraq mm-hmm. post nine 11. Um, and we went and supported operation Northern watch and, or I did. And uh, that really changed everything for me because it opened, opened my eyes to the world. Um, which is the trip that was my first trip to Greece, which I guess you guys want to talk yeah, about. Yeah. 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 Um, which is very, then, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, so that was my first deployment. And then after when I got back, I got the opportunity like, to level up and go to uh, what's called force reconnaissance in the Marine Corps. And at the time, this was pre pre um, Marine Special Operations Command. At the time, that was the top level of the Marine Corps. It was like the highest specialty MOS that you could go. And so I took selection for that and passed and made it and got into the unit and uh, started my career in, in, in reconnaissance. And then left and then got the opportunity to go selection for um, to be a Marine Raider, to be a part of SOCOM, which is Special Operations Command within, you know, the U.S. military. And um, and then rounded out the rest of my the rest of my career as a special operator, as a Marine Raider in uh, Marine Special Operations Command serving in Afghanistan. You know, I went to Iraq as a recon Marine as well um, and then all over Southeast Asia. Wow. So that was 12 years. And, uh, and that is where that 12 years, my willingness, willingness to grow, my want to grow was superseding the military industrial complex system. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's the military. You can only grow as much as they let you. Yeah. Like it's not. It's not on you. Yes, there's a lot of things that are on you. And I did a lot of things, right? I, I took selection. I passed. I did. I put my body and my mind through a lot of different things and uh, and was successful in my own right there. But at the end of the day, it's a system that you don't have control over. If you want to make more money, if you want to get promoted, it's not something that you can work really hard at and get. It doesn't work like that. You can work really hard at it and they still not give it to you because it's part of a system. It's not like here where... You know, I wake up at 5 a.m. to do a bunch of work and I, I wake up at 5 a.m. seven days a week because it compounds, right? My work gets the compound. My effort gets the compound in my success. In the military, whether you, the guy next to you does the bare minimum or you put, you know, all this extra work in, it doesn't, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's again, there, again, I see that contrast in you where, you're in like the strictest, toughest, like area of this, you know, the Marine military 
this whole thing and you're achieving more and more. And then the contrast is that's not enough for you. There has to be more like, like it's so hard to be in the military to get to where you were. So you'd think yeah. your brain is just wired for that, but you did it. But then it was like, no, you know, I, I can do more. It, yeah. It's, it's awesome to hear this. It's not, it wasn't enough. So that's, and, and you know, you got to understand like multiple deployments to war, you know, out of 12 years of service, I was gone for six, you know, had a family, had kids and it just, it just became one. I became worn down, you know, mentally kind of worn out. Um, I started getting angry. I started not becoming, not liking the person I wanted and I wanted to be promoted. I wanted to grow. I wanted, I wanted, I, what I wanted to move was at my own pace, at my own speed, mm-hmm. my effort. I want my effort to be rewarded, but in the, the but in the military, it's it's a system, right? You have to wait your turn. There's a board, blah blah blah. blah. You, other people have a say of your future, and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted I, the only say in my future is me. Like I'm not a victim. I'm not saying that I'm a victim. By I'm never a victim, but I wanted control over my. Now, if I fail or if I don't do something, that's on me. It's on you. It's my lack of education, my lack of output, my lack of will. You know, and, and failures happen. That's okay. That's just, you know, those are, those are tuition payments of learning, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but at the end of the day, I wanted more control over my success, right? So that's, that was, you know, those, all those things collectively is what made me leave the service. Okay. And then when I got out, I contracted and, you know, and then int- eventually led to, um, led to the entrepreneurial space where, you know, I started my first business and, that led to multiple businesses and then selling businesses. And then, you know, now that's essentially what I do is, you know, run a couple seven figure businesses and um, that I'm super passionate about. It's changing men's lives, um, helping the community grow. Um, it's amazing that you can make money and make an impact at the same time. I don't know why people don't realize that they, they think one or the <laughs> yeah, other. It's like, no, man, you can, you can change, you know, one, never, never be a, you know, never apologize for being profitable. Never apologize for making money. Mm-hmm. The more money I make, the more good I can do. Um, I, lo- I love that shit. attitude. That, you can't do shit if you're broke. You can't change yeah. lives if you're broke. That's that's, that's attitude, the truth. Yeah, you know. But everybody's like, "Oh, you're just a blah capitalist. You just everything's about money." And it's no, like, man. yeah, no. Because the more money I'm, the more money I make, the better impact I can make. Exactly. I just bought my mom. I just bought my mom a car and a house. It's not. It's not a bad thing to be able to provide and to to actually have more than you need because. Again, if you have that attitude that you have, it, it, it and be realistic. This, you know, be realistic. You need money to make things happen. You it's know, you want to do good. You can't, you can't do it without any funding. Like, so right. you're, everything you're saying is exactly right. Um, so, nonetheless, um, nonetheless, that's that's where the last ten years of my life is. Now I'm now I'm mentoring other people. I've got a great mentorship group of, of men that I mentor. Um, we have a fitness and health company that we t- predominantly focus on getting men back to where they're supposed to be. Um, and, and as fathers, as husbands, as men as the, in the community, making sure that they have the, their priorities straight, uh, get the fat off their body and make sure that they're being healthy. I mean, I mean, you guys know we have a, we have a epidemic in this country. Oh, God, you know, the, the number one killer, the number one killer of men in this country is heart disease and obesity. Yes. It's not, it's, it's not a disease. That's something that we do to ourselves. You know what I'm saying? It's a self-inflicted situation. So it can be correct. That means it can be corrected. And uh, so that's one of our missions is, is to, to, to put a a huge dent in that. 
make, I call it making men, men again. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? exactly. I like, uh, so can I ask you real quick? Um, yeah. So I've been, I've been making these observations about you while, while, you know, you were, you were telling us your story. So now as an entrepreneur, do you find that this is the correct mix for you of rigid, strict kind of like ways to go about it, but also the freedom to grow and to, to keep achieving? Because in, in my mind, that it seems like that's, that's the situation you're in. So, yes, you have to, one, you have to create your own, you, you know, you're the captain of your own ship. We're on this rock, right? We're on this rock spinning through space. Um, your life is yours. Mm-hmm. In the grand scheme of things, we're so small. So if if that's the truth, you guys just saw that uh, universe picture they just took. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, those galaxies. The, the web and each galaxy has like hundreds of planets. No, it's, it's, it's just like. The, the human brain can't even comprehend these things. What, like what so is massive. out there, right? And that's what yeah. I try to tell people. I'm like, we, we're so small. So if we look at it that way, right? Not not to make it depressed that we're small, but to make it, <laughs> make it, a, make it a point that it's your life. This is yours. Stop living it for other people. Make it what you want. What, what do you want on your hundred years on this planet? Because that's all you get. So what are you going to do with it? Right. Make it what you want. Do what you want to do. If you don't want to be successful, you want to live in a van down by the river, fishing all the time, <laughs> fucking sell all your shit. Go live in a van down by the river. Like, yeah. do it. Like, stop being stressed well, out and having anxiety. Well, the, 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 to your point, Nick, is I think that in our society, people are men... Well, I will speak about men being so conditioned to think otherwise that they don't have right. it in them yeah. to think outside of that whole idea. Like, Absolutely. And that's the problem, right? We're, we're being conditioned to live this like life of essentially mental slavery. Yes. Yeah. Agree 100%. And, and, and the distractions make it way too easy to just fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So my, my challenge is just like, listen, you gotta, you got, you know, at, at best, at best, you got a hundred years on this planet. Do what you want to do, man. Live your life. If you want to be successful, be fucking successful. Go crush it. You know, that's what I want, but it's a choice. That's a choice for me. If I die today, I'm going to be like, dude, I gave it all. Yeah. And when I die at a hundred years old, I'm going to be like, I left it all on the playing field, man. I gave it all out there. I want to love harder, play harder, work harder, all of it. Wow. This like, is, I mean, this, we, we, I mean, personally, me, Fatih and I need to hear this, but everybody out there listening, I mean, this is the truth. He's the, Nick is speaking the truth and he's, he is the proof in the pudding right there. Like he did it and that's how he did it. So talking about routine, like an original part of it, the way you get there. So I, like when I started, and I have these photos, like, I love sharing these photos of me, like overweight, my guts hanging out. And, <laughs> and like, I just look, cause I look at those photos. And I'm like, this guy is depressed. He's not happy with himself. He's frustrated. He's stressed out. His cortisol is through the roof. His hormones are jacked up. Like that is a, not a happy dude. Right. And I, and the reason why I share that, because I know other guys look at themselves in the mirror and, and when, you know, they, you can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. You can try, but you know, you know how you feel, you know, where you're at in your life. And you go look in that mirror, you know, you get, you wake up in the morning and you go stare at yourself in the mirror and you're like, fuck, this is not who I want to be. You right. know what I mean? I'm not living the life that I want to live. Yeah. Um, and I share those because of that. Now, how do you get out of that? 
and how do we work with people is routine. So like we, you create this ironclad routine that serves your purpose and you don't waver for anything. And I don't mean that like, I'm not given to my family or giving to my, you know, your friends and things like that. That's all part of your routine, but there's no, like, like you said, photos, there's like you said, there's no distractions. I'm not getting distracted by whatever crazy thing Biden said today or what he didn't say, what nobody understands. You know, I'm not getting distracted by all the stuff in the media. I'm not getting distracted by these. Like you said, they're distractions. I'm super laser focused on my world. They're like, Nick, the recession, Nick, this, what, what are you talking? What What are you talking about? (laughs) Like there's no money in the world. There's still money in the world. People are going to work. People are buying groceries. Oh, but there's going to be food shortages. Rice okay. and beans really, really, really cheap, man. Well, those, those are those are the victims. They they victimize well, right. themselves. Right. I don't give a shit, man. I'm sorry. Like I don't care. Like I'm gonna do like recession. You know how many millionaires were created during the Great Depression? Go Google it. Yeah. How many? No, not people that were millionaires. People brand like new created, millionaires yeah. during yeah. created during that time. Mm-hmm. So you have a choice, right? You can choose. Am I gonna be the person that's like? in the garbage can looking for food or I'm going to be the person that's like, you know what? I'm going to figure this shit out anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's a exactly. choice. It's, it, you know, it, it, you're hundred percent right. You're hundred percent right. And, and again, the, that victimization, it's like, all right, you know, you, you can sit there and be the victim and just watch the news and, and complain about everything. But where does that get you? Like, it doesn't get you anywhere. So it's like, do something but about it. If there were more, Nick's out there pushing out this type of content to the masses, maybe that might kind of oversee what people are being subject to, which is the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, before I got to go, I want to, I want to share one meaningful story. I want to share yeah. the grease story. I got I got I to I bail. Um, so I had never been, so like I said, my, my father and my mother split. Um, and because of that, I never learned Greek fluently. I speak, mm-hmm. I can get around now. I, you know, but I, I fluently, it's, it's still, a, that's one of my goals is to speak fluently, but speaking fluent in Greek is, you guys know, like, <laughs> yeah, what do we have okay. 6 million words or something like that? You know? Yeah, it's crazy. So, I don't know. Speaking <laughs> politics in Greek may, may, may be a bridge too far <laughs> for me in the future, but, um, but I go, I can go there. I get around fine. I, I can, I can not speak an English word for two weeks. And I'd be fine. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to converse. I want to, I really want to conversate. So speaking of that, if anybody's listening and you're in the U S and you do online teaching, mm-hmm. hit me up. I'm looking well, for a tutor. We'll, we'll send you some links. We, we know okay. some people. Good. So, so here it is. So I'm in Turkey. This is 2002. This is post 9-11. I want to set this up. Just after 9-11. Just after 9-11. And these guys know the story because, uh, because I, I, you know, I told them on, on the phone. Yeah, great. And uh, so this is the, the story. The preference this is the story of how I got into Greece in 2002 <laughs> without a passport. <laughs> wow. And uh, as an American citizen. And I'd never been to Greece before. Now, growing up, and, and maybe some Greeks, you know, Greek Americans understand this or anybody can understand this, but I always felt, what is it, American Nike? Yes, that's American me. Nike, yeah. <laughs> uh, I always felt different. I didn't know why. I always felt misplaced. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my family, my memories, 
they make me who I are. My people, they, they just, man, they're the greatest salt of the earth people ever, right? And I owe them so much of my life. That's not what I'm talking about. But I had this internal conflict that I just felt misplaced, like there was something missing. And I, it's a very, very hard thing to explain. But it's just like you're the black sheep. Now, I didn't get treated like a black sheep. I don't want you to think that I got treated poorly. But it was a feeling, right? Like you're just different than everybody else in some way and you don't understand why. But the places I lived, the people I was with, I just felt different from them. And uh, so anyways, life goes on, you know, you know, you, you know, then I, I grew up, I got a family and I, I go to Florida, Turkey, and I get this opportunity to have like four or five days off. You know, I've, I've been there. It's a seven month deployment about halfway through, you know, I was, I was supporting the air force. So the air force is really soft. And they're like, you can only work so much and you can have to have downtime. And, you know, <laughs> this is not the Marine Corps way. They're like, Hey, we're going to give you like a four or five day pass. And, uh, and you can do, it. I was like, well, I told him, I was like, well, I want to go to, I want to fly to Athens and go visit my family. My family lives in Latrakia. I want to go visit them for Christmas. And, uh, so I, I did all this work. I, um, I did all this work and, uh, and I got the, I got it approved and I got the paperwork. I got a, I, I got a letter from the command in Turkey of my orders and says that I am allowed to go to Greece. Whoa. From, from the air force. It's a letter. It says, <laughs> Hey, you're allowed to go to Greece. I have my ID card, my military ID card, my driver's license and this letter saying, Hey, I'm, I'm on orders to Turkey, but they're allowing me to go to Greece. <laughs> that was all I had. So then I had to figure out how to get to Greece. And it's, and, and the, where I was at is I'm not just, I'm not just there. Uh, it's not just like I fly, I get on a plane and I fly to Constantinople and then, and then from Constantinople to Athens and then, and then I'm there, right? It's, it wasn't that simple. So what I did was I went out in town. I'm an Insterlik. I'm an Insterlik, uh, which is outside of Adana, uh, Adana, Turkey, for those of you that don't know. So I go out in town and I, and I, and I met a lot. I made friends with a lot of locals in Turkey um, while I was there. So I started brokering with them and saying, hey, I need to find, I need to find a... I need to find a driver that could drive me to this, this airport in the mountains. Cause I, I found a ticket that I could get on this airplane in the mountains. And then, uh, and then that would take me to, I think Ankara and then Ankara I'd fly from there to, to Athens. So I left at like, I want to say midnight. I finally, I find this guy that has a car. Doesn't speak any English. <laughs> My Turkish at the time was okay. You know what I mean? Like I could, I could, you know, point Goodbye. direct, ask for things. Um, and I'm going, okay. So I get in this car at midnight with this, this older guy <laughs> that doesn't speak any English. And we just get in the car. I sit in the back seat and he starts driving. Now, do you remember James Bond, Goldeneye, mm-hmm. the movie? Do you remember the airport that, at the end of the movie with that, it was on a cliff and they had the air thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like an airfield. Do you remember this? So, uh, all right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement, but, but continue. Okay. So we're driving through the mountains. It's starting to snow. I remember one time I look out the window and the moon's coming up, the moon's coming up. So it starts to see a lot. And I'm like, this road that we're on is just a cliff down this huge mountain. And we drive to this, this airfield and it's an airport. 
but it's just an open, there's no building. It's just an open thing. And I walk through a security, like a metal detector that is not even on, you know what I mean? And <laughs> right, after just, <laughs> right after 9-11. Right after 9-11. And we get on the, I, so I walk, I walk on this airfield in the mountains. He drops me off. I'm like, Hey, this is it. I guess I got a paper, like old school paper ticket, right. That they printed off at the, at the thing in the town. So I got a paper ticket, my little thing and a backpack. That's all I got. And I, I walk onto this plane. It's like a, I don't know. It's a plane, man. It's not oh. a plane that you would normally ride on. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? It's not, it was a passenger plane, but it wasn't a normal plane. And to make it to, so I, I, I walk off, they take off. It's literally in the mountains. It just, and I could, I, I wish I remembered the, the town, but uh, I could point to it on a map. So we, we get there at about five, takes about five hours to get there. I think my flight is like sick. It's like, just as the sun's coming up, I'm taking off. I make it to the next air. You know, I do the transition. Now I'm in a real airport. Now I'm like in a terminal, right? It takes me to a terminal. And then finally, you know, I have a little layover, have a little Uzo. And then I, you know, and then I take, I make it to Athens and I'm going, now I'm going through Athens. Now I've been through Athens a, a ton of times and, you know, it's, I know exactly what to do, but so I'm first time there, I'm trying to figure out where to go. And I go through customs and I get to the customs guy. Now at this point in my life, I don't speak any Greek. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't under, I don't know if I know a word. I don't even knew if I knew the word Malacca at the time. <laughs> you understand? Like, that's how little I knew. I yeah, didn't that, know that's anything. like the bare, that's the bare minimum. If you don't know Malacca. The bare minimum, right? And I didn't even know that. So I get to this guy, he sees my name, you know, Nikos Kumalatsos. And he, and he goes, you speak Greek? And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into the whole story of why, you know what I mean? It's embarrassing for, you know, my father and whatnot, whatever. So, and uh, so listen, I'm like, listen, I, I'm a military guy. I'm serving in Turkey. It's Christmas. They gave me a pass. They let me, my yaya and pup, they were still alive. Yaya and papu, they're, they're in Lutraki. I want to see them. Uh, my Thea, she's outside. She says she's going to be outside waiting on me. You know, my cousins are here. Like, I just want to come to Greece. It's my first time here and spend time with my family. And he goes, so you're American? Like, yeah, here's my... He's like, he's like, you don't have no passport. I'm like, no, I'm, in, I'm trying to explain to you. I'm in Turkey, you know, serving. I, you know, I come to visit my family. And he goes, and you're Greek? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm Greek. Yeah, I tell him all over again. He goes, <laughs> he's like, he's like, okay. He goes, go have Christmas with Yaya and Papu. Stamps <laughs> my paper. My, my sheet of paper that says he's allowed to go to Greece. My permission slip that says stamps my paper and lets me go. Wow. How wild is that? That, that is crazy. What so so the, what, the statement I wanted to make is the whole entire story through Turkey, I was playing it out like a movie scene. So when you said, like, do you remember Goldeneye? I was like, I was like, I've been playing this whole thing out as you're talking yeah. like it was a movie scene. Because I can't imagine so close to 9-11, on your own, in a foreign country, people you don't speak the language with. Getting in a car in the middle of the night, like that. I mean, yes. that is something. That is something. Like, it's an award-winning script for Hollywood. Yeah, it's just, it's and just I, the ball. And I did, <laughs> and I did everything. I like all of this logistics stuff. I did it myself. Like, I just figured it out with locals and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, anyways, crazy. I get to Greece, and you know, my Thea picks me up. She meets me there, and she, she, she see, you know, she's obviously seen pictures, and we talked and everything. But she sees me in person for the first time, and she's like, "Oh my God, he's one of us! Look at him!" You know, he looks. And me and my little cousin, little Nick, uh, 
look, I mean, we're like, we look like brothers. Mm-hmm. We look the same beard, hair, eyes, nose, everything. We look exactly the same. And she's just like, Oh, uh, that's, that's a Kumalatos right there. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> and uh, I get in the car and I'm looking around and we're driving from um, Athena to, to Lutraki and man, a lot of people won't understand this and, and maybe, maybe they will. It was like for the, and I told you guys, I don't know if you, you know, people that believe in frequencies and earth and, and where you, I, I believe that where your genes are from, you have a unique frequency that matches that area. Right. Mm-hmm. And you hear people like all the time, right? Like people that are Irish, that maybe are first generation Irish, that they go to Ireland and they just feel at home for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. It was the first time. So here I am 20 years old. It's the first time in my life that I had this weight off my shoulders that I felt like I belonged somewhere. Wow. It was the first time in my life that I, that, that, that black sheep feeling went away. Wow. I didn't feel it there. Now, of course they, people looked at me like, you're not, you're not a, you're not a Greek guy. You're American. You're American Nike. Right. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Even my own family sometimes would say things like that, but it, it, regardless of what people said, what I felt was different. When I got in that water, when I when I when, when my feet hits hit the hit the rocks, when I when I even just being in the cab driving from Athena to to Lutraki and seeing everything and being there and the smelling things and the you know the dryness and the it was just it was the most it was like I breathed for the first mm. time, like I was holding my breath for twenty years and the first time ever in my life I I exhaled. Wow. That's an amazing that's way to put so, it. That, that's awesome. And it's and like, it's I'm, one of those inexplicable things that you know, because you feel it, but it's like, it's hard for you to like, kind of describe it with just and every time, because- every time I go, every time now I go, I still the same feeling I get, I land, you guys obviously go to Greece, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. definitely share the same feeling. You you walk out of the Athens, the Athens airport and you see the, the, the countryside yeah. right in front of you, right? There's the, the train station right there and the countryside and the weather hits you. And, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, that, that's such a great story. I mean, that that whole thing just played out like a movie. I mean, I could I, I could totally see it. And it's just it's I mean, it's a you I don't know how many people could say they've been any country without a passport. So you got that one thing. <laughs> Be- you now, you know somebody now. Yeah. And wow. uh, so, so Nick, so can you? I mean, we, we we were planning half an hour, and I don't think an hour was even enough. Can can, no. can you come back and and we we kind of. Uh, splinter off into different stories because i I know there's a lot that we want to ask you i'm sure there's a lot that you have to offer uh we would love to have you back and we we appreciate so much that you took the time uh and again we know you have to go um but we appreciate that you took the time can you just tell us uh very quickly and also we'll have this in the notes um you know your social media or website anything you want to share so we could uh we could get it out there yeah i'll I'll leave with this If, if you're a uh if you're not the person that you know you should be, get a hold of me. Whether it's your fitness, whether it's your success, your goals, your family, if you're just not living, if you're not living up to the person that you know you're supposed to be, get connected with me. Excellent. I will show you the work that you have to put in 
I will give you a roadmap and the work that you have to put in to be a better version of yourself. Wow. And if not for you, for the people you, that love you, your wife, your kids, your husband. Amazing. Like that's, that's, that's what I do. My mission in life now is just to inspire, motivate, educate others to live a more healthy and successful life. That's it. That's my purpose on this rock. And you know what? Uh, I have 100% faith that you can do it. I know you've done it and I know you can do it again. And what Nick is telling you, get in touch with him if you have that. Otherwise, follow him. Do everything you could do because this guy, he, he means business. And uh, I love listening to his stories. Thank you so much, Nick, for being with us. Uh, we're going to have you back whenever you have the time. Absolutely. We'd love to hear more. And again, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, everybody out there for watching and listening. And we will see you next time. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.